0: This is Novel Marketing, the show for novelists who aren't
1: necessarily fond of marketing, but still want to become best-selling
0: authors.
2: Episode 159. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim.
1: And I'm Megan
0: Haskell. And I'm Greta Boris.
2: And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to take charge of your career in ways that will make it fly higher, faster, and for longer. And to help us figure all this out are two special guests, Megan Haskell and Greta Boris. Megan and Greta are best-selling, award-winning authors, both fiction and nonfiction, and they co-own Orange County Writers, which is a network of published and aspiring authors. Welcome to the the program, ladies.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Yes, thank you. You're welcome. So let's just dive in. Um, We know that we should take charge of our career, but a lot of us aren't even sure what that exactly means. Can you explain that a little bit, what taking charge looks like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, so basically we wrote uh, this book um, and this concept because Greta and I are uh, both traditional, well, Greta is traditionally published and I am independently published. And together we realized that there's so much information out there that people get so easily overwhelmed um, that they get stasis and they don't know what to do or where to go or how to move forward. Um, So that's what, that's the goal. This is the, it's a You know, it's a guide for helping you overcome some of that overwhelm and find the solution that fits you and your personality and your project and moves you forward in your goals as an author.
0: I really liked the, uh, Brian Cohen wrote us a little blurb and I really liked what he said about, do you feel like you're uh, getting drowned in the information fire hose that's on the internet and then take a, a nice Little sip of whatever he said. He said it much better than I'm saying it, but I, I liked that because it's very much, it's very much that this is a surface, an overview, just to help people decide what they even need to know. Sometimes you just don't even know what to ask. You're, you're, um, you know, you're so confused at what's going on. So that that was that was the reason for the book.
2: Well, it makes sense because there is so much information coming at us. I don't know if you guys subscribe to newsletters. I'm sure you do. But all these newsletters and blog posts and Facebook and I, I, in one sense, the Internet has given us all this unbel- these unbelievable unbelievable resources at our fingertips. On the other hand, it, it truly is the cliche, you know, firehose and teacup. And so you guys... Talk to me a little bit more about that. You guys have kind of distilled down, hey, wait, before you start subscribing to all these things, before you start taking in this information, take inventory. Talk to me a little bit more about that.
0: Basically, we were – we run these write-ins around Orange County and we're sitting around tables with um aspiring authors and we also have taught some workshops and conferences and so we're around a lot of people who want to publish haven't published yet and we got the same questions over and over again and a lot of those questions revolve around which pathway um And just knowing that much, just where to start, because, you know, to dive into all that amazing stuff on the internet, you kind of have to know, well, which, which thing do I need to know more about? And since, as Megan said, I'm traditionally published and she's independently published, we thought we were kind of a good duo to, to give them, let, let them know, here's what you have to do for each different path.
1: And, and one of the things that I think we did, I like to think we were clever about, maybe it really wasn't that clever, I don't know. But <laughs> we actually put together this super scientific, not at all, um, little quiz about your skill set. So basically trying to take inventory of who you are as a person and what your skill sets are, what your goals are, what kind of... Um, abilities you have to bring to the process, because that's actually going to determine more than anything else, especially for New authors, aspiring authors who have not yet been published at all—that's um, going to determine which path they want to go. Because if you're like me, you're type A, you're business-oriented. I haven't actually have a degree in finance, not that I really use it anymore, but um, you know, it's that kind of business-oriented entrepreneurial spirit that lends itself very well to the independent publishing path. But someone who really is focused on the art is really focused on the prestige and the accolades of um, producing a book, of publishing a book, they're going to want to go for that big five contract. And that's what we're trying to help people determine because it's actually been a surprise for a lot of people which path they were more suited for. You know, someone who's very hands on and wants to make decisions about their cover really can't go that big five route and be happy. But someone who is like, I don't care, you decide, um, is going to be great with the big five decision. So that's kind of how we've we started out is with this little quiz. And then from there, we walk through the pros and cons of each of the different paths to publication, what's the same about them, what's different. And, you know, that process of turning a hobby into a serious endeavor that you're hoping to make money on eventually.
2: Okay. So let's ask those first three questions. In other words, if you had a freshman writer using the analogy of freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, and then graduate means getting published for that freshman or sophomore writer, what are the top three questions that they have to ask themselves right away?
0: Can you balance your checkbook (laughs) (laughs) and patience how patient are you? And how much time do you have? Because um, if you want to see your book that you just finished on the shelf, where people can buy it within a year, you're not going to want to just stop life, find an agent, then that agent has to find a publishing house. I mean, that's a long tailed process. So there's also how patient are you? Um, That's, that's a very big thing. And, um, and then I think the third is, uh, how willing are you to, like Megan was alluding to, give up the reins? How much control do you feel like you've you've got to have over this artistic project? How much are you willing to let go of?
2: That makes a lot of sense to me. With all my novels, I've been traditionally published, although I am looking to indie publish. I'm writing a series with a friend of mine right now, and and so I'm diving into the indie world, which I... I have read a lot about and researched, but actually now I'm hands-on doing it. And I'm realizing it is a very different animal. And so for someone that wants to indie publish, they really have to have an entrepreneurial mindset, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say that they, more than the traditional, Published author has to go. I am a small business, and I'm going to operate like a small
1: business. Absolutely, and and I think that's where even traditional is starting to move somewhat. As you start getting hybrid authors who do both, Um, they look at the pros and cons of for different projects, and 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 we address that a little bit as well in the book. But it's you know um, treating your art as a business is a key fundament fundamental to. Um, indie publishing. And you have to be a project manager. Are you organized enough to actually go through the process and develop a project plan and say, okay, and then set your own deadlines and meet those deadlines and not go, eh, it's, it's just for me. Who cares? You know, you actually have to go through and do that and be dedicated to that process in a different way than, than the traditional mindset for sure.
0: I think one of the things that we were seeing a lot of and disturbing, it was a disturbing trend was this attitude that people had that, Oh, I'm going to pitch my book. And then if it doesn't get picked up by an agent or it doesn't get picked up by a small press, uh, then I'll just indie publish. And it's like, Oh, back up the truck, baby, just indie publish. You do not know what you're saying, you know?
2: (laughs) Right. I like that. It's, it's like a, it's like, somebody saying, well, you know, I'm going to have somebody build a house for me, or I'm going to build a house myself. If you're going to be the general contractor, oh my gosh, you're not just building a house. You are going in there and doing a lot of work on that.
0: Right, exactly.
2: So one of the issues that I don't care if you've written 40 novels or zero novels, finding the time to write seems to be an evergreen issue. Advice for writers that are going, I want this to be a career, but I simply cannot find the time. What what do
0: you tell those people?
1: I actually teach a whole class on that. Because she is amazing
0: at this. She is amazing.
1: Um. Well, so so I have two young kids at home. I'm I'm a stay at home parent. Actually, first before I'm a writer. So for me, finding the time to write is critical, and the number one thing that I tell people is that you have to establish habits and you have to establish goals Um, and start out, you know, with small, small steps, right? So it might be that your goal is every night after the kids go to bed, you're going to sit down at your computer and you're going to open up your word processor, whatever that may be. That could be your goal. And that, but that one little teeny tiny thing starts the habit. And so once you start building that habit, then your goals start to increase and you can actually make significant progress on your manuscript. Um, but so that, that's the number one thing I think is just building those habits and creating these little mini microscopic goals that no matter what you can achieve it, you just have to, you know, get, get your butt in your chair kind of a deal, um, and then, as you get better than better at that, and you start making those habits, you start to develop other things. Um, I call triggers um, that help uh, put you in the right mindset for producing words. Um, and I say words, but it can be any like working. We'll, we'll call it working on your on your manuscript because it could be editing instead of first draft or whatever. But um, but you start to develop these triggers. So for me, it's actually like opening up my laptop, opening up Scrivener, and I reread the last, you know, couple paragraphs of whatever whatever I was writing the night before. And I have my headphones on with, you know, Brain FM is what I listen to, which is basically a a white noise focus music kind of a thing. And that's my trigger. And once that's done, and I've got that, my word processor open, and I've got my headphones on, I'm in it. And I can write, you know, I, I can write in sprints, and there's lots of other little tips and tricks too. But doing those two things, developing habits and developing triggers, will get those words or get that work done a lot faster than you realize.
2: One of the things I did when I was first starting out is I said to myself, I can do anything 20 minutes a day, anything 20 minutes a day. Yep. And I wrote my first novel really in 20 minutes a day, the majority of it. But what I found, and maybe you find this with your small goals, I love that idea, really small. It's just opening it up. And maybe it's at first, it's only opening up and just reading um, a little bit of what you've written. you've written. But what I would find is I'd sit down to do my 20 minutes. And more often than not, that would turn into 35 minutes and 40 minutes. And but that habit stacked upon itself.
1: Absolutely.
0: I think the other thing, you know, um, years ago, I was a personal trainer and a, a health and wellness coach. And I think all of these things kind of dovetail together. It's getting somebody to add something into their life that is a desire, something they want to do. But they have to add it in. And I. another thing that we do talk about a little bit in the book and we teach in, in workshops is the prep time, like planning, planning, scheduling. When are you going to have your writing sprints, your stints, at what time of day, but then also knowing what you're going to write before you sit down to write it. And that is difficult for people who are pantsers. So we do, you know, we need to we need to have a little bit of a, a, an idea, some ways of plotting, um, some ways of planning our scenes before we sit down to write them. Or you spend a lot of your time staring at a computer screen and then you feel like a failure because you, you did the 20 minutes, but you didn't get anything done. So that, that, that's a piece of the puzzle as well.
2: Well, I think that's really good, Greta. I can see in, in my own writing how it's easier to procrastinate if I have no idea what I'm going to write, whereas if I really know, okay, I'm going to accomplish these three goals during this writing session, um, it seems a lot more accessible.
0: Oh, so much. I'm going through that right now. I'm in first draft of a new book. And when I don't know what to write, I wander around the house, I have to have another cup of coffee, the dog needs to be scratched, I think I better change a load of laundry, anything but write. When I'm excited about the story, and I have a good clear plan of what I'm going to Write that day, I can't wait to get to the computer, so I really think that's a big piece of the puzzle as well
1: one thing that we that we've been sort of developing as well is this idea of spending the first um few minutes even either the either the night before or the day before um at the end of your writing session preparing for the next day, or in my case because I'm actually m- Despite my organizational tendencies on the business side of things, I'm actually a uh, pantser on the writing side of things.
2: I knew I liked you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, despite my, or, or so what I do is I spend the first you know couple minutes of each writing session, um, brain dumping just enough to give myself a vision of the next paragraph, the next scene that I'm going to, you know, start working on because spending that two minutes of a quick, just brainstorm, no sentence structure, no periods, no commas, no, no, don't worry about spelling. Just close your eyes and type for two minutes. And that puts you in the right frame of mind as well.
2: Okay. Talk to me a little bit more about this brain dumping. You you described it pretty well, right? Just there, but I know you guys teach on this, this concept. So talk, talk us through that a little bit.
0: It's, uh, it is, amazing how quickly it'll change um, your writing speed. I tend to write in uh, the, using the Pomodoro method. So I put a timer on and I write for 25 minutes and I really try not to let myself edit at all. No back button, no delete button, just keep writing. But in order to do that, I really have to have a vision of the scene. And so I will do what Megan described, the brain dump. And it actually, it uses a different part of your brain. It, it, um, it uses the part of your brain that's more, um, Pick like a, a picture oriented. So it's like you're seeing snapshots of your characters and what's going to happen in the scenes. And you can get into a flow, a creative flow, a lot more easily because once you start writing and you're having to make word choices and punctuation choices and, um, you know, analogies and metaphors and all that fancy literary stuff that's a lot of decisions. And so if you can eliminate as many decisions as possible by having a very clear, almost like a movie in your head of what's going to happen, my writing speed has just gone up dramatically. Um, it It makes a big difference.
1: So when we do these brain dumps, that that's actually part of it too, is making sure that you include all that sensory detail. So like if I was writing, this was for my last book, um, I was writing a lot of winter scenes. And so I would talk about how cold it was, had the snow, the snow was falling on her face and there's flakes and she could feel them on her eyelashes. And, you know, she bent out against the wind and was struggling her way through the snow drifts, right? So like you start doing that kind of process. It's not literature. Right? <laughs> There's no intention that this <laughs> is actually going to make it into the book directly, but it gives you that feeling. I would actually get cold writing those scenes. <laughs> I had to use blankets. It was, it was 80 degrees outside and I'd be wrapped up in blankets because I was writing these winter scenes with that level of sensory detail.
2: Wow, I love that. I love that idea of just getting so into it, no distractions, the snow, seeing it, picturing it, allowing that movie to play in your mind, and just writing down whatever comes. What you just said, Megan, about hey, it's never going to make it into the book necessarily really frees you up to do it. And then I guess you go back later on and you go, oh, you know what? That phrase right there can really work, or that could be slid in here. And so you do, it does make it into the book, but not in a way that uh, paragraph for paragraph, I would think.
1: Right, right, exactly. And like I said, you do it for two minutes before you actually start writing the scene. And it clarifies everything so much in your in your head that as you're writing, even if you don't say, you know, you might have brain dumped that, oh, the snowflake fell on her eyelash, that might make it into the book in a different phrasing or something, you know. Um, But it's yeah, it's not a direct translation. It's just a two-minute, quick flash fiction, never going to see the light of day to put you in that scene.
0: Another thing it can help with, because, you know, I write um, suspense and mystery. It's a a giant crossword puzzle a lot of the time. And um, when I'm brain dumping, it helps me untangle some of those Tricky bits and the twists and the turns and I'll get my brain is more freed up for an idea to how to tweak tweak that scene so it's not so expected so something unusual happens or um, and to remind myself, when I do sit down to write, what are all the little details? What are, you know, what are the clues I have to plant? What are the breadcrumbs I have to drop? Where do, where do I put the gun on the mantle? All those little things that are so easy to forget once you're actually writing, they end up in my brain dump, and I can go back and check that when I'm done with the scene and, and see, did I include everything I needed to include in that scene? So that's really helpful, too.
2: Nice. I love that. You know, you guys, um, I know, I think you guys teach on productivity hacks that will help authors. What are some of the most powerful that you would say, hey, guys, start doing this right away?
1: Well, we, we've mentioned a few of them, I think, already. Writing in sprints, Pomodoro technique. Um, you know, I think, actually, I think I was listening to your podcast with Chris Fox, and he's the master at at a lot of that. Um, so that's that's one technique that, that we use a lot. Um, or that I use in particular, but as far as some of the more maybe unique tips and tricks, um, trying to be as mobile as possible is a big one. So for for me, I use Scrivener and I have it on every single one of my devices. I have it on my computer, my iPhone, my I, iPad, every, everywhere. And because of that, I'm actually able to work whenever I have, you know, five or 10 minutes, even sitting in the car waiting to pick up my daughter from school, or, you know, um, waiting at swimming lesson, even I have a great idea, and I need to go and just jot it down real fast. I have that right then and there. So there are ways to even get 50 or 100 words in a few minutes. Um, On mobile devices. Um, And so I think that's key, you know, not trying as much as possible not to waste time on social media is uh, or or use that time for better purposes um, is is key.
0: Another thing that um, we teach on, and it doesn't sound like it's productivity, but really it is, is we've been using the uh, Enneagram personality types to help us figure out who our characters, our main characters anyway, who they are in advance of writing. And that is a huge help because if you really know, have a pretty good grasp on who your character is before you start writing, um, that just helps you, again, with not having to make so many decisions because if you're in the mind of your character and they come up to a certain set of circumstances, well, that personality type is going to react this way. You don't have to stop and think about it. Well, Gee, how are they going to react? You already sort of intuitively know how they're going to react. And again, that that is a productivity hack for me because it helps me save a lot of time pondering my character's navel, so to speak, you know?
1: Yeah. The fewer decisions you have to make when you're actively writing, the better. So the more you can do the planning in your off time, when you're walking the dog or when you're, you know, doing laundry or whatever, if you're thinking about your story, making those decisions in advance, when you actually sit down to write, you're much better off. You can write a lot faster.
2: You know, I just want to make a quick comment on your idea, Megan, of having accessibility everywhere. Because we have this mindset of, well, if I sit down to write, I've got to get at least 250 words in or it's, it's a waste of time. And so your idea of, hey, even if I have three minutes and I get 25 words in that can spur something later on, I think that's really powerful. And I guess I would encourage everybody to no matter how many words it is, even if it's 10 words, it's still constructive. You're still thinking about the story. You're still moving forward. So I love your idea of writing wherever, whenever you can. Um, it wasn't that long ago that my boys were you know, doing diving or track or this kind of thing. And I would often sit there at the track meet going, okay, my son Micah ran the 100 meter hurdles and the four by 400 relay. Well, the hurdles were at the start of the track meet and <laughs> the relay was at the end. So I'm sitting there for a long time doing nothing. So I love that idea of taking every moment you can to to be productive.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's surprising how much you can get done in small bits of time. Because those, you know, 50 words in 10 minutes or whatever you end up getting down, they do add up. And the more you can get done in those bits of time, then again, it goes back to making those decisions, especially if they're, you know, when you're planning things, um, you say, oh, I've got this great idea for this character. You jot that down. It might only be 20 words and it might not really be what you're going to write for the scene in the novel. But having that and having it written down right there in your manuscript, well, then at night when I actually am, you know, in my regular working hours, um, oh, I already have it. I know what I'm going to do. And I can sit down and just blow through it.
0: You know, We have, there's a um, a woman in OC Writers who's come to a number of our workshops and she is a full, she has a full-time career and, you know, struggling with the finding time to write but she could not do this, what Megan is talking about, the 10 minutes here, the 15 minutes there. Her brain just did not work that way. So she kind of um, skinned the cat a slightly different way and what she did is, all week long, she would do all the little things to get herself ready so she could have a big chunk of time on Saturday. So she would plan for a writing retreat on Saturday. By, you know, having, making sure she had food in the house, that, that all the chores were done, that the laundry was done so that her house and her uh, meals may be prepared. So all she had to do is walk to the refrigerator and grab something on Saturday. And so, you know, it's, it's, everybody has to find their own way through. But I think the point that Megan is making is really, really valid that if this is something you want to do, you've got to, you've got to take every, um, free moment that you have. And instead of playing Candy Crush, what could you do to, to further your, your future author career? You know,
2: Guys, there have been so many great ideas. So you might repeat yourself, but I want to ask each of you, if there was only one thing that our listeners could take away that you would say, for me, this is the number one thing you can start doing immediately, what would it be?
1: For me, the number one thing is scheduling your writing time, making it a habit, and sticking to it.
0: For me, it's the brain dump and turning off my inner editor so that when I am writing, I'm actually writing and not wasting the time over-editing myself.
2: Those are both excellent suggestions. Schedule the time and then actually do it. And sometimes you need an accountability partner to do that. Um, I have friends and I did this early on in my career where if I didn't write, I would owe them money. <laughs> <laughs> so schedule it. It worked. Um, it was it was part of a writing critique group. There was five of us and we made a commitment that we would hit a certain word count before we met on the phone every other week. And if you didn't meet it, you had to send 50 bucks to everyone else in the group. Oh, wow. So that's $200 I didn't want to spend. Yeah. Um, so schedule the time <laughs> and stick to it and then kill the editor. Turn off that internal editor. Great. Great advice. Um, Megan, Greta, where do people find out more about you? Where can they buy a copy of, of your book? Uh, give us some some websites.
1: Well, we are together. We run OCWriters.network. Um, which is where you will find information about our community, as well as links to our book and um, our workshops. And for me personally, you can find me at meganhaskell.com.
0: And I am at GretaBoris.com. And uh, and with Megan, of course, as she said, and OC Writers. And I just do want to mention it is ocwriters.network, not .com. I wish it was dot com, but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day.
2: (laughs) Okay. And we will have those links in the show notes if you want to pick those up there. Um, Our featured patron today is Carrie Dawes and her story, The Embers Series. Inspector Cassandra McCarthy never thought she'd be raising her two daughters alone, but her husband's unexpected death forced her to find a career. Now, working beside a retired special operations soldier and veteran fireman, she serves her small North Carolina town. Protecting them from hazards they don't understand. She loves what she does and trusts God to provide until a hurricane and a series of unexplained fires hits too close to home. What will it cost Cassandra to pr- protect the citizens of Silver? heights and our sponsor of the novel marketing podcast is the five-year plan to becoming a best-selling author this is something thomas and i created to help you become a best-selling author guaranteed it's a step-by-step guide that teaches you the exercises you need to do the books you need to read and the writing you need to be accomplishing quarter by quarter and even if you're a published author this course will show you the areas you need to get stronger in to hit that bestseller status and as we as I just mentioned, it's guaranteed in two ways. If you don't become a best-selling author after you finish the course, we give you your money back. And if you get 30 days into the course and you find it's not for you, we'll give you your money back then. For more info on that, you can go to novelmarketing.com slash courses, and novel marketing patrons get 50% off. Um, real quickly, Thomas and Margaret um, have not had the baby as of yet. But by the time you hear this, it's possible. And Thomas wasn't with us today because he's fighting a virus. Uh, He's feeling better, but he's still a little bit under the weather. And in my world, I I guess I birthed another baby in the sense that I um, finished my latest manuscript and turned that into my publisher line edits. So that's just about ready to go. Greta? Megan, thank you so much for being part of the Novel Marketing Podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. This is fun.
0: Yes, absolutely. It was great.
2: Well, good to have you here. And you've been listening to James L. Rubart, Megan Haskell, and Greta Boris on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you for listening.